Welcome to day 347 of Shaped by the Word, and uh, we come to the book of Revelation, uh, which should be a whole lot of fun. I'm Paul Kemp here with David Keefe and Matt Kresge and Katie Kresge, and uh, we read the most fascinating for many uh, book in the New Testament. Uh, a lot of people go to this for their first Bible study and their second oh. Bible study and their third uh, Bible study. Some people have charts on their walls where they have uh, every symbol figured out and every you know, prophecy, you know, fulfilled, and there are others, you know, that just simply, you know, throw up, you know, throw up their hands. It's a, it's a unique book. Uh, you know, it, it is the only book, you know, in uh, Scripture that is purely apocalyptic. Uh, we have uh, examples of apocalyptic sections, you know, in Ezekiel, uh, in Isaiah, and in Daniel, uh, obviously, but this book from beginning to end uh, takes on a form of an apocalypse, you know, with the exception of the, the letters to the church, but they do, you know, fit into the overall you know, kind of sense. And Apocalypse is uh, always characterized by being highly symbolic and uh, uh, highly, you know, relevant, you know, to the people, you know, which it's written. And so there's several different ways you can come to the book of Revelation. Some, you know, read this from a futurist perspective. That this is talking about the final seven years or the great, you know, tribulation of the earth. And so everything, you know, in the book of Revelation starting, you know, in chapter four and moving, you know, toward the end is, is yet in the future. Some read this as past history. They're called preterists. In other words, they see this as the cataclysmic, you know, highly symbolic, you know, characterization of the cataclysmic events that went to the fall of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple and so they see, uh, you know, the fall of Rome as something that happened, you know, in the 5th century or the great, you know, Babylon, you know, as, as, as part of it. Some have read this as progressive history. In other words, that uh, you can take different chapters, you know, in Revelation and identify them with different stages, you know, in church history, you know, leading all the way up to the last. It's probably the least common you know, reading, you know, that we have, you know, have from it. Now, some read it, you know, as, as uh, an idealistic description, and by idealistic, we don't mean this is the ideal that we're looking for, but a highly, you know, symbolic, uh, you know, uh, description of uh, the time between, you know, Christ's ascension into heaven and his, his re- return, mm-hmm. and uh, that these are symbolism of what, you know, Paul would, you know, what Paul would say, you know, in the, uh, you know, what Paul said to Timothy, in, in the latter times, things will go from bad to worse, and you have that description. But you also have this, you know, written to a group of people who are going through deep persecution. They're, they're highly suspect in, in the Roman Empire, and many of them are, are called on to uh, proclaim the deity of Caesar, and it's okay for them, you know, to have, you know, have other gods as long as they proclaim the deity of, of Caesar. And, of course, that is something that never, you know, set well with believers. And many of them are being persecuted. Many of them have been thrown out of the, you know, city of, of Rome, of Aquila and Priscilla. You had to leave Rome for a while, you know, during, you know, during that time. So uh, it, it's kind of an interesting book. And, and we should probably read it with caution to understand the encouragement, you know, that it gives us. Both in, you know, that it, it does remind us that when things go really bad in the world around us, that this is part of the you know, expected trajectory of the latter days. Things will go from bad to worse. But in spite of it all, God is preserving his people and he's leading us, you know, toward a glorious hope. So when we get in those middle chapters, it's going to be kind of tough, you know, to hang with, uh, you know, uh, 
the the trumpets and the bowls and the, the you know the plagues you know that we experience you know and, and all of that but when we you know come to the very end uh, we realize you know the hope uh, that God is having for us and, and that is where we should set our heart and vision so we're going to read read this book uh, Matt anything you want to bring in about how to read Revelation. I mean, there's there's so many different. You know, you can be a futurist, an idealist, yeah. a, you know, a preterist, a historist. You can be, you know, uh, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial. You know, there's so many factors yeah. that come into so many different ways that you know we uh, uh, can uh, disagree about. You know, the content of the book, or you know, be curious. You know, about the you know about the content. You know, yeah. the content of the book. Uh, and another thing we need to remember is those who read. Uh, prophecy in the Old Testament yeah. uh, didn't read it well, yeah. and, and we can assume that we we may not be reading this well either, and have a you know a lot of humility, yeah, uh, and and uh, patience with each other yeah. as we read Revelation. Yeah. The two things I would add, and I mean we'll get into it when we start, but you know, people can often be scared to read Revelation, or it's a scary book, or it doesn't make sense. So we just kind of disregard it. But John's going to tell us, you know that. Blessed is the one Blessed who reads. The the one who reads yeah. You know that this is necessary for us, and then two, as we read it, uh, read with an eye towards the Old Testament. I mean, so many of these images are going to come straight from the Old Testament, um, and so you know, right. familiarize yourself. If, if with the before Old you read the Book of Revelation, you read the entire Old Testament through about 170 times or so, and then then this is this so is going to start popping for you. Pause now. You know, in, 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 a, in a very you know in yeah. a very big way. At least the prophets. But, you uh, know, for sure the prophets. If you're wanting to to try to think through some images. Well, you certainly have yeah. to do. You, know, you certainly Zechariah have to have Genesis Ezekiel. three in it. You know as well. Yeah. So. That uh, fought all the way through, and uh, unless we run out of time to read it, <laughs> and of course you just mentioned, you know, blessed are those who read this out loud, and that's what we're going to do, you know, for the next couple of weeks so as if we you don't close understand up. anything in it, and we don't help you do that. You're but still we blessed. have still read it out yeah. loud. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this vision of the future, both in its discouragement, knowing that things will get really bad, and the forces of evil will come against. Uh, you know the, those that love you uh, but we thank you for the hope we have in it and we thank you even in the introduction for the careful care that you have for your church and for their condition and the call that you have to all of us to to be true to you and to love you uh, even in the midst of the difficulties that we experience mm. amen. amen revelation 1 1 the revelation from jesus christ which god gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the provinces of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
I, John, your brother and companion in the sufferings in the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on the scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamon, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. There on his head was white like wool and as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living. I was dead, and now look. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, and that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. To the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamon write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. Yet you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin, so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also, uh, likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the person who receives it. To the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. 
I know your deeds, your love, and your faithful service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teachings, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food, sacrificed to idols. I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I'll make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely, unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead, and then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I'll pray each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I receive authority from the Father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, we have two minutes to, uh, you know, cover everything that uh, that, that is written in that. And you see the beautiful description you of Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, uh, applied to the churches as the one who holds the seven stars and the one who has a sharp two-edged sword. And you see those, you know, applied. And, and of course, the one that uh, you know the the vision of the church, you know, that most grabs us is the church at Ephesus, which seems to be doing everything right, but something is oh so wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have, uh, they're great in their theology, evidently. They're great in their practices, evidently. Uh, but they, they they've, are not loving, uh, you know, Christ the way they did at first. In other words, it's become more of a routine uh, than a deep affection, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in of itself is deadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, he didn't say, you know, it's just a small thing. You know, you, you need to kind of stoke it up just a little bit. He says, if you continue in your ways, I'll, I'll remove your, your lampstand. In other words, you'll no longer, you know, be a church. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how, I mean, in verse 2 of chapter 2, he's saying, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance, and all these things that they've done well. But because that's not fueled by their love of Jesus, it's probably a lot of striving. Um, it's become a lot of striving in their own strength and their own power. Um, and we all know that it's really tough to persevere on our own strength. Um, we do it at times, but um, I probably not well. Not well. Yeah. It's, it's and it's very short lived. And we're, we're at, we live in fear of being found, or I do. I live in fear of being found out. And, and so Kitty has been found out this morning <laughs> right on, on this podcast. Yeah, For those of you that are reading in the evening, you're finding out a little bit later. But And the beautiful thing about being found out is when you're found out by Christ, I mean, he already knew you and um, he knows you. And his exposure um, is, is a loving kind of exposure. He's so, life-giving. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I love that um, he commends them, but then he says, like, because – um, you've lost, you've forsaken the love you had at first. I mean, that is that has huge ramifications, and you need to come come back to the love that you have for me. No, I, you know, love. Uh, of course, uh, you have you have uh, you know these seven churches, which uh, he addresses them in the order a messenger would have taken. You know, if they'd left from Patmos and delivered this mm-hmm. a letter, but it's not only you know a letter to seven churches; it's a letter to all of us because again. He continues to say, whoever has ears, you know, let them hear. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, Ephesus is turned away from their first love. 
uh, you know, both you know, Smyrna, uh, you know, has you know this sense of which they're they're following you know teachings of the world, and uh, you know there, there's a mixture of that, and uh, that's a serious threat of you know, who they are, you know, as well, and and so uh, all of these are things we need to hear. I love you know the opening description, you know, uh, of Christ, you know, in chapter you know back in chapter one. Uh, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom mm-hmm. and priest to serve as God. And, of course, that's what God said to Israel as he brought him to the foot of Sinai. Mm-hmm. Uh, you will be for me a treasure possession and a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. Uh, and uh, that, that picks up on what we were created for, to uh, you know, to have dominion or to rule or to steward God's resources that he's put at our in disposal for his glory and for the benefit of others, but more than anything else to represent his grace to those around us. And a, a priest is one who, uh, you know, brings God to the people and the people mm-hmm. to God. And that, that is, you know, that is our heart and our call. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Something that stood out to me just as we're reading Revelation and, and kind of gearing up for what is to follow you know, it, there's times where you're going to see images in Revelation that just don't make sense initially. And if you keep reading a little bit, sometimes he'll define those images. Sometimes he just leaves them and expects you to know what he is. But, you know, you read through and you're thinking, what are the golden lampstands? Yeah. What are the stars? You know, and he goes on to tell you, here's what they are. So sometimes just keep reading a little bit and, and he may do it. But I also love how um, he picks up images. You know, he gives us this image and says, you know, obviously we know that this is Jesus and, and it's got the hair on his head was you know white like wool and it keeps going and then when he addresses the churches he takes one little snapshot you know this is from him who holds the seven stars and he had just told us in chapter one who is the one holding the seven stars and and so it had been I mean it, we should immediately hear these are the words of Jesus yeah, to the church. seven stars the seven messengers and seven lampstands are the seven churches mm. mm-hmm. and uh, we're soon gonna be introduced to the sevenfold spirit yeah you know, as, as, as well. Uh, so Revelation is largely, you know, and, and not only do I love the way that, you know, uh, he identifies, you know, Christ identifies himself, but uh, I also, you know, love the way that, you know, John identifies himself, and you kind of get the spirit of the book, you know, in that. He said, I, John, your brother and companion in the sufferings and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, he's on the island of Patmos because he, uh, has been exiled, mm-hmm. you know, because of his testimony. So he's experiencing it you know, in a deep. You know, tradition, you know, even says that he was uh, <laughs> boiled in oil or you know tortured, you know, in that. And uh, one of the things that my Greek professor observed about you know Revelation and John, and uh, it's not the best Greek, uh, you know, that he doesn't you know, you know really have really good Greek form. He writes like a Jewish guy trying to write Greek uh, and uh, often dangles his participles. And uh, so my Greek teacher said, you would dangle your participles too if you were boiled in oil. Um, but uh, you do have, you, you, you do get the spirit of it when you see who Jesus is, what he's called us to do. And you see how John identifies himself as someone who is suffering and who needs perseverance. And so that is the encouragement mm-hmm. of this book. Uh, in our suffering, you know, to persevere. And, of course, that is how he's encouraged these mm-hmm. churches already to persevere to the very end. He said, I don't want to add anything to you. Just hold on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that, uh, you know, that is, uh, you know, that is the essence of, of, of the Christian faith. We have a good portion here where we live. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of our brothers and sisters can feel this right now. Mm-hmm. And, and these images, you know, are very, you know, very real, you know, to them. 
and, and I, I suspect that in coming generations we'll feel tension more and more uh, between you know standing for Christ and, uh, and the, the world around us. Mm-hmm. Katie, why don't you close us with a word of prayer? Father, thank you for the encouragement that we find um, in these chapters and in this book. And um, though though we don't fully know how to understand everything that we read here, uh, we ask that you would um, just continue to graciously reveal your heart to us. Um, thank you so much for the hope we have Um for our future because of of what you've done for us in Jesus. Um, Thank you for the authority that you've given Jesus and the authority that we see displayed here in just these first two chapters and what we'll continue to see as we read together, um, that we have a loving and gentle and meek rescuer, um, but we also have a victorious um, and strong redeemer. Um, Thank you for being all these things, God, and so much more. Um, Help us to trust in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.